extraordinary television picture here. show as a channel to explore my curiosities about mysticism, mythology, spirituality, and psychology. None of this is meant to be dogma, but rather to explore what's true about the mystery in life, about our nature, and about the cosmos that we inhabit and our role within it. So enjoy the show. And this is exploration at its Joseph Campbell said, I've found that you have only to take that one step toward the gods, and they will then take 10 steps toward you. That step, the heroic first step of the journey, is out of or over the edge of your boundaries, and it often must be taken before you know that you will be supported. Joseph Campbell was a comparative mythologist, and really he did two things to my mind that are well, he did a lot of things that are noteworthy, but two things that we should like really consider and that influence our lives pretty deeply. The first is that he took a lot of Carl Jung's ideas and made them understandable and digestible. If any of you have read Jung before, I'm reading Ion right now, it's probably, I mean, it's got to be the deepest book I've ever read in my entire life, but it takes a really long time to grasp the content. I remember... I bought Modern Man in Search of a Soul by Carl Jung a long time ago, and I tried to read that book four or five times and just like could not get anything out of it. But then as you sit with the ideas and come back to them, you eventually learn the rhythm and the language that he's using to convey his points. And in that, you start to, you start to really be able to appreciate the depth at which he's making observations about the human experience. And so what Joseph Campbell did is he took a lot of Carl Jung's ideas and made them, you know, understandable and digestible for a much bigger audience. And one of those ideas is that myth in general is psychology in ancient language. And that's why we can study the Greek gods and we can learn so much about our own behavior by understanding how how that took place. And what Carl Jung posited is that all of those gods that we projected out into the cosmos became internal. So the modern man has all of those gods inside of him. And so he can understand more about where his actions are going to go if he can understand the way that the myth played out and what happens when you identify with certain archetypes, certain patterns of reality. Joseph Campbell talked about archetypes as spontaneous productions of the human psyche. Again, the idea being that you have all of these patterns inside of you. Carl Jung posited the idea that if all, you know, if all of humanity were to be reduced to just a few people, eventually, after thousands of years, it would all build back up in much the same way. You might not have the exact same intricacies you have now. You might not have the NFL. But 
the culture and everything would tend to form in very similar ways because we are living these archetypes out. We're living these patterns of reality out. And that's one of the beauties about looking at the world this way is by deducing patterns because we can't hold that much information in our heads at one time. Like our bandwidth is actually pretty limited. So rather than trying to account for every single factor that's taking place in a certain scenario, what you can do is actually understand how the pattern plays itself out and how patterns work and how the symbolism is being expressed in the manifest world. And if you can do that, you start to gain wisdom because you start to gain a sense of knowledge that's beyond your capacity to actually understand. So through archetype and through pattern, we can start to gain a bit of wisdom about what we're doing here. And this is the beauty of myth. And I'm going to do much deeper episodes on things like myth and whatnot later on. But the, the beauty of it is that a myth is not to be believed in. It is to be learned from. So hold on to that idea because as I get into this content, as I get into this lecture, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we have a culture that is obsessed with belief and where that can really, in my opinion, lead us astray or lead us off of the point or lead us from our sort of in own inner gold, which is what we're going to talk about today. The other thing that Joseph Campbell really did is he created, well, he didn't create, but, but you could say found the hero's journey. And so that's the pattern remember this idea of pattern, that takes place in every single myth, every story that you've ever known about. And we teach, I teach a lot of this in my course, The Modern Man's Call. But the idea being that the reason that you can find the hero's journey in every single movie that you see, in every single story that you read, including ancient stories, right, including wisdom texts, is because if they didn't include that hero's journey, you wouldn't actually know about them because we tell stories so that we can learn about reality, right? It's the only reason that you'd want to understand history, for example, because as you read history, it's like, well, you're reading something that's actually about you now because it's about how people are. And so stories that, whether they're fictional or nonfiction, that don't include this sort of arc, they wouldn't resonate with you. So they don't resonate with people. And so you don't know about them because they don't get passed on. They don't get proliferated. They don't really teach us about what it's like to really be here. So Joseph Campbell studied myth from all over the world. And he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which I'll do a, which I'll do a book club episode on at some point. But he essentially took all of these ideas and realized that there is a pattern that's playing itself out. And if we can learn the pattern, we can understand where we are. So that's the work of Joseph Campbell. The thing that I did, which I'll make a reference to this a little bit later in the show, is I took the hero's journey and I posit the idea that we can use the hero's journey for contextualizing our own journey and for managing our own psychological hygiene and wellness. See, because being in the underworld is hell. But if you know, if you can start to know that you're in the underworld and you can start to realize that the underworld actually has a purpose within the grand scheme of things, it's actually trying to show you something, something that you don't know. Well, now things like our depressive episodes and our shadow behavior and the darkness that we get pulled into aren't meaningless. They're not something that we have to suppress or avoid or simply treat the symptom of because the symptom is, is the messenger of a larger thing that's going on. And I would say that that's also what Carl Jung posited. Uh, but really understanding the, the arc of the hero's journey, I think, is a really good way of us 
making sense of what we're doing here and what we're going through and why we feel called to certain things and why other things are really frustrating and why sometimes it feels like we're dying, you know, like we're, we're in this internal division that's like stripping us of everything that we care about. I found that if you can contextualize those moments, it's actually really helpful. So there was an interview done on PBS with Joseph Campbell. I'm going to play the first minute or so of the interview. If you want to hear more of it, I linked it up in the show notes of this episode. The clip is like six minutes long, and then there's a bunch more clips from that interview in that playlist. So if you want to to nerd out on this stuff and get deep into some of Joseph Campbell's ideas, you'll see why he was able to take these ideas and make them so salient for for the modern person or for the the average person that's not interested in geeking out over you know psychology and religion and all these things Um, so i'll link that up in the show notes of this episode but we'll check out the first minute and then we're going to talk about joseph campbell's bliss tell my students follow your bliss follow follow your bliss your bliss where the deep sense of being in form and and, and going where your body and the soul want to go uh when you have that feeling then stay with it and don't let anyone throw you off have you ever read uh, sinclair lewis's babbitt not in a long time do you remember the last line i've never done a thing i wanted to in all my life as the man who never followed his bliss well, I heard that line. I was living in Brownsville when I was teaching at Sarah Lawrence. Before I was married, I used to be eating out in the restaurants of the town for my lunch and dinners. And Thursday night was the maid's night off in Brownsville so that all the families were out in the restaurants. And one fine evening, I was in my favorite restaurant there. It was a Greek restaurant. And uh, at a table was sitting a father a mother and a scrawny little boy about 12 years old the father says to the boy drink your your drink your tomato juice and the boy says i don't want to and the, the father with a louder voice says drink your tomato juice and the mother says don't make him do what he doesn't want to do the father looks at her and he says he can't go through life doing what he wants to do. Said, if he does only what he wants to do, he'll be dead. Look at me. I've never done the thing I wanted to in all my life. I said, my God, Babbitt incarnate. So what is this bliss that we're talking about? That's what I hope to map out in this podcast and really hopefully we can get an idea of where our bliss is because the truth is it's it's kind of always at our fingertips but we are we have so much conditioning and so much learned behavior and we are such social creatures that all of those things tend to get in the way of us finding our own bliss our own living water as it's often mentioned in myths and so let's start by breaking down what joseph campbell said right there he said it is the deep sense of being in form and going where your body and soul want to go. When you have that feeling, stay with it and don't let anyone throw you off. So there's an idea that there's a that there's a depth to us that we aren't always aware of, that we're not always in touch with. 
back in the MCP days, as in like a couple of weeks ago. I've done some podcasts on should you follow your heart and what's the difference between ego and soul. And in my book, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, which I'll also put in the sources of this episode, I posit the idea that your ego and your soul might have different desires. They might have different motivations. And and essentially, it is us learning to get in touch with our soul that allows us to actually understand what our bliss is. Because, you know, it's likely that you go where you want to go and you make yourself miserable. And I did that for years and years and years. And so there's an element of surrender that's built into this idea. There's an element of trust and faith in being itself. And we have to do the deep work to sort through the ego and the soul. And one thing that I would that I would posit to you, I think I might have mentioned this a few weeks back, but it's the idea that as you go after what you want, the next most important thing for you to do is to be absolutely honest with the results that you're getting and the, the feeling that you're getting from doing what you do. You know, a lot of us have urges and things that we go after. And when we go after those urges, we actually feel empty. Right? There's actually something in it that feels like it doesn't agree with our internal constitution. So one of the ideas that's going to lay at the substructure of all of these ideas is the idea that your internal constitution is a roadmap to your bliss. But again, it's the idea that we have to learn to communicate and get in touch with our own depth, whether, you know, we can do that through journaling, we can do that through courses. I'd like to think the courses that I teach are, are help, helpful in giving people an inroad or a doorway into their own inner life. It's the idea of prioritizing what's inside versus what's outside. I talked about this idea of the first half of our lives is really about finding belonging. And as we learn to assimilate with the world, we also find that a lot of that has to be unlearned if we're going to learn how to follow our own roadmap. And one thing I'd like to submit here as well is that you following your own roadmap is actually really, really important to the unfolding of the cosmos, you might say. It's an idea that's hidden in Christianity and and Judaism as well, is that you are co-creating the world with God. And what that means is your actions actually matter. And so one of the things that I want to posit is that if you really do the difficult thing to prioritize your inner life rather than belonging to the external world, one of the things that you'll start to find is that you following your bliss matters and it matters not only for your own sense of fulfillment and well-being, not only does it is it immensely beneficial to have the feeling that you're actually moving in a direction that is toward your destiny, but the rest of the world is also going to benefit from that thing. And so hopefully I can make a case for that as this goes on too. He also said something that I think is, it's almost prophetic and and a little bit disturbing in our culture. You know, he talks about this guy who is raising his kid to be like he is. And that's what happens, right? This This is one of the reasons that makes finding our bliss so difficult is that it's not, we're not fostered to find our own uniqueness in this life, right? We're not fostered to find our own genius. I can give you a really basic example of this. And I think it all comes from a good place, but we just have to realize the limits of our upbringing, the limits of our teaching, the limits of our awareness so that we can go beyond them. Because if we don't, we're stuck inside of them a little bit. And it's hard to 
you know, we have this feeling often like we're stuck in the world. Um, I talked a little bit about that uh, yesterday in this idea of when the path ends, we get this feeling of stuckness, not because we're actually stuck, but because we have so many issues with going where our heart actually wants us to go. And so what happens is we continue to abandon ourselves. We continue to abandon what we actually want based on older habits, based on how we were raised. So the example is this, right? Let's say that you're a sophomore in high school and you're taking a biology, I think biology sophomore year. You're taking a biology quiz and imagine that you don't like it. Like there's something about it doesn't interest you, right? You don't know, you haven't understood, they're not doing a good job of relaying the fact that you're a biological organism and that understanding the very nature of what you are is actually really helpful. So let's just pretend that in high schools, they don't always do a really good job of making the connections between what you're learning and why it's important to learn it. And so you're in biology and you don't care about this at all. You care about girls or boys or whatever. You care about sports or, you know, whatever hobby you're into, riding horses. And the teacher says, well, we have a biology quiz coming up in three days. It's going to be over this material. And so you go home and you're talking to your parents. You're like, I I don't want to do this. I hate this. I hate biology. And I'm like, but you have to. Right? This is the sediment that's at the bottom of this idea. I've never done a thing I wanted to in all my life. It's like, well, you have to do this. This is part of being here. It's like, okay, guess I'll do it. Guess I'll study. Guess I'll put in the work. So you do. So for three days, you're like studying. You don't want to, but you're doing it. And then you show up and you take the quiz and you get an A minus on it. Now, something interesting is happening right there, which is you are being rewarded for doing something that you do not want to do. Now, there's a huge utility in that. Obviously, that's why it emerged in our culture. That's why it's important. That's why we, we put so much nobility in the idea of doing what has to be done in order to get a result. There's, there's, there's immense value in being able to go through the things that you don't want to do. And it's also limiting, right? And it's also not setting you up to learn how to find out what's real about you, what's at the core of your heart. And so now you have a little bit of an inner war going on. It's like, okay, well, the external world gives me a sense of belonging for doing what I don't want to do. So that's important because without belonging, we're not good at being islands, right? We're social creatures. We've survived as social creatures. We, we divvy up work. There's all kinds of evolutionary reasons why being social is actually really important and belonging to a tribe and belonging to a group. And so you're wrestling between that and I don't really give a shit about this. And then what happens is you go through your life and that sense of belonging actually gets really, really mired into your psyche. And so when you go to make decisions, right, now let's fast forward to you're 30 years old and you've never done a thing that you wanted to in your life and you're trying to figure out there's something that's emerging for you, right? There's some sort of interest or some what if that you want to go after. I'll talk a little bit about that later. And so you're, you're trying to reconcile, how do I go after this thing and still get belonging? Now, there's a, so right now, there's a leap of faith that's needed. You actually have to leave what you've known and what you've been taught in order to find what you've never had. That's the water of life. And that inner division is, is hell for a modern person. And it's even more hell if you have no spiritual side of you. Because if you think about what spiritual spirituality is, is it's a connection, right? It's a connection to self. It's a connection to 
your essence, right? What is essential about you and about life and about all of this? And as you embark on a spiritual journey, you find that, well, it's kind of like that Joseph Campbell quote we started with. If you take one step toward the gods, they'll take 10 steps toward you. So the interviewer in that, he says, you know, do you ever get the, uh, do you ever get the feeling that you're, uh, you're being helped out by invisible helping hands? And Joseph Campbell's like, yeah, all the time. So that trust that that helping hand is going to be there is actually really important. And so if you don't have a deeper sense of who you are, a deeper connection to all of this that is deeper than belonging and deeper than culture and deeper than what you've been taught, well, now you're stuck because it's like, well, what, what am I going to pivot toward? What is it that I trust in a situation like this? And so what I want to talk about are these reasons that keep us abandoning ourselves, right? Why do we abandon what we want in order for what we don't want. And then we end up in this place that somewhat can be pretty resentful. And I'll talk, I'll talk about that too. So another reason that we don't follow the bliss is because we can't see the big picture. And so when you start living by the soul, right, the deeper sense of who you are, you realize that the big picture isn't your job. Right? And that's the value of having some sort of image of God. And that, to my mind, is where the, the atheist runs into a difficulty. I know in my own life, when I was like really letting myself face the fact that I didn't think that I believed in God, or at least the God that I was raised to believe in or whatever, I realized that there was a void there. There was like a vacuum. And so I didn't realize that I had unconsciously taken on the burden of being God, of having to know the big picture. But the thing about that is, is that's not the human job. The job is to take the step. That big picture, that's God. That's the universe, right? That's where faith actually matters. Because faith bridges the, the gap between your story, what you can see, and the infinite the story that's unfolding. So you have to trust that that story is going to be there, that those helping hands are going to be there. And so if you don't have a sense of anything greater than yourself, then you find that it's, it's difficult to trust. You know, I don't, not that it can't be done. I, I don't want to say that, but I just want to say that, that that is a step that's hard to get through, right? When you have to trust the life, which you do, because you're going to have to surrender to this calling, it's really difficult to do if you have no image of what it is that you're trusting. And it's probably hard for a lot of modern people to think about the, the God images of old, the anti-God images, because they're so anthropomorphized, right? So they're, they're like made out to be humans. And part of that is because you got to imagine that when you're trying to understand the infinite, you need a particular because you're a particular. You need an image that you can get your human mind around. And so understood that way, you can see where these God images are coming from and why it's so important that we have them. And for now, I just say that knowing that you're trusting something is important here. And so since we bring this up, we have to start to talk about the difference between belief and faith, which I'm going to dig into much deeper later. Because one of the things that I really have a hard time stomaching about religion is that they try to tell you what to believe. So what they're positing there is that you have to just tell yourself a story and that you have to believe it. One of the things that I that you cannot do that I think cognitive science is showing us that you cannot do is lie to yourself. You cannot believe what you don't believe, but you can learn from it. And this is the value that I'm hoping to 
give to people here. It's like, you can learn from these stories. You don't have to believe anything. If, if they're, you don't have to believe that they happened at some point in history. We, we didn't even read history in this scientific way up until about 100 years ago. So whether it happened, whether the events you're reading about happened, to me, that's besides the point, And we're going to miss the point if we get too mired around this idea of telling ourselves a story. Is it true now? Does it give you something to trust right now in this moment where it matters? That's something that I want you to, I want you to hold in, in the back of your mind. Because as we move on to the, to the Christ myth, because I think the Christ myth exemplifies this idea of following your bliss, I'm going to talk about um, more of this idea between faith and belief. And more importantly, the style of knowing that we have as modern people, which puts such an emphasis on belief and why we think it's so important. So what else? What else keeps us from abandoning ourselves? Uh, there's a five-factor model of personality. It's called the five-factor model, or the big five. You might have heard about it, right? So that's openness, conscientiousness, agreeableness, um, extroversion, and neuroticism. And so you can look at where people fall on those traits. When I do the personal podcast project, I use those traits because, again, I, can, I don't have to know everything about you, but if I can see something about how your personality is made up, I can see something about how you should adapt to this life because it's very hard to change our innate personality, but we can make decisions based on it, right? So we can inform ourselves. We can get a deeper level of self-awareness if we understand where we fall on these traits. And all of the traits are essentially agnostic. There's nothing good or bad about them, even though we tend to want to add value judgments to things all the time so that we can understand it better. And so one of the traits is agreeableness. And I want to also make a case for, and you can just ask yourself if you think this is true in your life, but we're essentially trained to be agreeable. Think about the story with the science experiment, right? Think about the feeling of saying no to somebody. Do you want to come to my party tomorrow night? No, I sure don't. But think about how that, how difficult that, that is for some people. I, it's certainly hard for me to stand on my truth, to say what's real for me, because I have this sense of agreeableness. And so what happens is we will abandon ourselves. We will suppress our needs in order, again, for belonging. And so understanding this psychological trait of agreeableness and that we are essentially trained to be agreeable can understand and give you a little bit of insight into why it's so difficult for you to say no to people, for you to stand on your values, for you to not abandon yourself. Another thing that Campbell says there is he's like, you've got to recognize your own depths. So we're always getting intimations and intuitions of where our bliss is all the time. We're always getting the, what, what if I did this? Or why am I so interested in this idea? This is something that's happened to me in the last, I don't know, probably six months or so, is that I've been making these morning coffee podcasts about and you know the idea behind those is personal development now you've probably heard seeds of this kind of talk in the background right i did like the good king archetype i'm the modern man's course is really based on understanding psychology through myth you know your own psychology so these ideas are emerging i'm forcing myself into this mold because i'm like well that's what the listeners want to hear they want to hear what i started the show on which was asking these provocative questions about that would hopefully lead you to deeper insight and inner growth and i love it but i also got to the end of my ability to care about it like i i felt like i you know 600 plus episodes like i did the thing and at the same time i had the feeling of like but there's this other 
thing in the room that's really important to me, that I read books about constantly, that I'm obsessed with, you know, I, that I want to talk about. You know, I started studying theology, did about a year's worth of theological work at a master's level, and now I'm moving into a PhD program that's studying myth and psychology and literature, and I'm, I'm realizing that there are these ideas that have been sitting to the side that I've wanted to acknowledge because every time I do, it lights me up. That's the living water. You know, that's where rebirth is going to happen. It's when you face the things in yourself, and this is the point of the underworld and the hero's journey, when you face the things in yourself that keep you from going toward the living water. He talks about this idea that if you do listen to these intimations and intuitions, you know, if you recognize your own depth, so to speak, which is a leap of faith in itself, he talks about putting you on a kind of track that has been there all along. And so what I also want to posit here to wrap up this first section is just the idea that when you suppress what you actually want, when you abandon yourself for the sake of belonging, for the sake of getting along, for the sake of being agreeable, you have not changed what you actually believe in those moments. You know what's right. You know what you want to do when you want to say no, but you say yes anyway. And what happens is you're just bullshitting yourself, right? You're not changing a belief. You can tell yourself any story that you want, but you know what's real and what's right because it emerges from within you. And when you don't listen to it, you set up the environment for hell. It's also why I said it's always kind of at your fingertips. It's like, it's there. You know it's there, but something in your mind is not allowing you to consciously recognize it because it's going to mean upheaval, right? That's the deal. Once you, once you start following your bliss, it's actually going to require that you do things that might betray your sense of belonging in order to come into alignment with your deeper self, right? With your soul, with your purpose for being here, which begins to unfold once you start to follow the bliss. This is exactly how, how the accounts we have of Jesus said that he lived his life, right? It's this state of radical acceptance and trust in being itself, right? Which we must not understand as the same thing as belief. And this is, this is one of the cases that I, I want to make a case for. Because in the New Testament, they use the word uh, pistis, for, which gets essentially translated as faith. But all of these ideas that are rooted in the Greek are deeply rooted in Greek mythology. The first word Jesus ever says, metanoia, that, that's personified as a god. Like the Greeks personified things so that they could understand them. And that's why so much of our culture is so rooted in the Greek. And in Greek mythology, pistis, the word again that's essentially translated as faith, was the personification of good faith, trust, and reliability. That is not belief. We have such a belief-centric culture right now that the, the, it's always tell yourself a better story. So we're always asking ourselves, do I have the story right? But you know what's right. And this is something that, that I think that the idea of bliss is actually positing here, that the answer is within you. If you don't know what's right, then, then you know where your work is. 
right? If you're conflicted internally, it's like, well, what's the confliction? The confliction is likely between a story you're telling yourself about how you should be and what you should do or what you've learned you should do and what you know is right, what you actually want to do. So again, what I think is we have this idea that puts so much emphasis on belief. Do you have the right beliefs? Do you have the right story? Are you telling yourself the right thing? It's like life has taken up form as you, obviously. You're here. And so what is the problem with doing what you know is right? And then reflecting on what you know. Because more often than not, telling yourself a story about it, again, is actually one of the reasons that you're going to betray what you actually think in the first place. What you know is right. What you know is right for you. This is the idea. This is the emergence of that internal map. In Matthew 6 in the New Testament, it's, it, it's my favorite scripture, I think, in all the Bible, though that's difficult to say. Um, but we see this philosophy that I'm talking about spelled out so clearly. It starts in uh, verse 25. He says, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, i.e. trust? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, this is the importance of working through your resentments, right? The ones that you don't, you don't allow yourself to admit that you have, right? You know, when you look at life and you see something tragic or something that is incoherent to you, illogical, doesn't make sense, you know, there's a part of you that thinks that's bullshit, you know, it's bullshit that, that life is like this or that, that human beings have to be subjected to this or whatever it is, right? For me, it was my, one of my best friends dying. Just shattered my coherence altogether. Now, can you have trust in something that you cannot reconcile? Like, can you trust something that you don't accept? I would say no. And so there's something important that I'd say this, uh, that Matthew's talking about here, um, that Jesus purportedly said. And that is, that is that you actually have to trust your life because what he's, what he's submitting is not that you tell yourself a story about whether or not what he's saying right now happened at some point in history. What he's saying right now is that you need to trust life or trust the Father, whatever your God image is. And we'll talk about why that internally that matters actually. But let's, let's stay on this idea of resentment because you have to accept what you absolutely cannot stand about life. In order to accept it, you have to confront it. Right? You have to confront those feelings in yourself. Because if you don't, 
part of you will rage against being itself, right? Part of you will self-sabotage. Part of you will want to destroy the whole thing. If you don't decide that being, capital B, being, is inherently good in itself, you'll always be at war and you'll rarely know why. And that division will run right through your heart. And freedom will always be an idea, but not something that you get to taste because freedom will only happen when you surrender, when you trust, right? When you trust that there's something deeper in you, there's something bigger happening all here, all around you here. And your job is not to worry about it. It's not to build the biggest to, to know where it's all going, to build this picture. There's, there's moments in the Gospels where Jesus is sending his disciples out and, he's, and he is telling them, like, don't worry. Don't worry about, don't bring anything. Don't bring anything to eat. Don't, nothing. Absolute radical trust. What he's saying is the only way you're going to be able to do this kind of work, the kind of work for the divine, is if you trust that the divine is going to give you what you need when you need it. This is also a part of the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about. He said there's always a point in the hero's journey, and you'll notice this once you start looking for it, that the hero has to trust that something else is going to be there. Like he has to let go of what he's holding on to because there are allies and there are gifts and mentors and all of these things that are for him, but he won't get it or she won't get it while they're holding on to this old conception of life, to their old ideas, to the old things that keep them safe. And I would say that your beliefs about getting acceptance and about belonging and about agreeableness, those are all the old things. Your resentments about what you cannot stand about this life, those are what you're holding on to that are keeping you from the things that you need that are going to aid you in your journey toward bliss, toward your bliss. And so one of the last cases that I'll make here for this idea of belief not being nearly as important as the idea of trust and faith is when you look around, and I'll break this down in future episodes, but when you look around at the world and you see people arguing about whether or not they have the right religion, they're saying, listen, the story you're telling yourself about the past isn't the right one. The story I'm telling is, meanwhile, they're not trusting life. Like they're not just learning what they could actually learn from the story. So we have these arguments about defending our beliefs and we go to war over it and we kill each other for it. When in reality, we could actually just be learning, right? One of the ideas that is really came to my mind when I've started in personality work is when you start to understand the different typologies of personalities, you start to realize that every personality has gifts and that they also have blind spots. And so it's a nature of our finite awareness. Like we only have so much awareness to take the world in. And so we have a perceptual lens, which is what we call psychology. It's how we perceive the world and make sense of it and, and what we tell ourselves about what we're seeing. And one of the things about personality you realize is, oh, I actually need other personalities. Rather than condemn what's, what, what isn't agreeing with me, I actually need to open up and realize that what they're seeing is another perspective on the same thing. So they're seeing something that I don't know. And so it's not, imagine just arguing about whether whose personality is right. It's such a ridiculous uh, notion. But when it comes to belief, we'll argue about it all day without realizing that what you think 
actually could probably tell me something really valuable about being here and what I think could probably tell you something really valuable about being here. And so part of the surrendering process, even though we want to be correct so bad sometimes in life, is just realizing, man, you can argue over belief all you want, but if you're not learning the lessons, if it's not true in your life right now in this moment, it's useless for you. It's a disembodied story. It's an idea that's in your head that's not helping reality whatsoever. It's not about who has the right belief, though we often think it is. It's about who can learn the right lessons, who can gain the wisdom that these things are actually trying to embody and bring forth and highlight. I actually had this feeling of radical trust when I got out of the military. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now. The paper answers say I should stay in for eight more years. Everybody I talked to, until I made it clear that I wasn't going to stay in, all told me that I should stay in, right? And there was something in me that registered as, wow, the best advice I can get here is to be miserable for the next eight years, which is interesting, really tells you something about where people's priorities are and where their values are. But there was something about it that struck me as wrong. And it was taking that one step out. It's like, well, I'm just going to get out. And you know what's funny is I had my paperwork to sign. I was going to go into the reserves and I had it on my desk for months. Something in me wouldn't let me sign it. Very fascinating. When I think back on that time, there's no picture. I don't even know what I'm going to do. Actually, I didn't even know where my money was going to come from. But I had this sense that there was something inside of me that needed to be expressed in the world. And that if I didn't follow it, I would always regret it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take one single step. And when you take that first step, you realize that actually the ego, you know, the part of you that like wants safety and structure and survival is really worried about the big picture. Like, where is it all going? What does it all mean? What, how am I going to get paid when I get there? But the soul knows that it's all part of it. It's all part of the journey. Your destiny is pulling you toward it and it's pulling you through hardships and it's pulling you through things that you can't make sense of and difficulties. And that's really the difference between ego and soul because the wisdom of the soul knows like we're all going home. It's okay. There's nothing to freak out about. You don't have to understand the big picture, but you are here for a reason. There are things that are really important to you. And if you can come into alignment with those things, you're going to find that it's life-changing. You're going to find that being here is an immense opportunity. But when it's ego, you're like, yeah, but I gotta, I gotta know. I gotta know where it's going. How am I gonna make the money? Who's gonna take care of me? And so then you're engaged in this inner war between what you think you have to do and what you know deep down you want to do to what's calling to your soul. I, you know, growing up, I remember this. It's an interesting thing when you really start to think about what you remember. It's a little bit of a way to like start unfolding your personal myth, actually. But I started, when I was growing up, I started hearing a ton of I could have stories. I remember, I, I heard them from my father. I, I could have done this. I could have been a, you know, this kind of athlete. I, I was really good. I could have done this. And I just remember thinking, God, how much... Like, how much bandwidth are all those what-ifs taking up? Who are you now, though? And that brings up another question, which is, like, who do you become if you don't go after the bliss? If you don't do the thing, if you make the safe decision, if you cling on to what you've known and you say, it's too much, I can't let go of what I've known. These patterns of reality that have kept me safe, that have had me kept me in belonging, and even if they're making me miserable and resentful, at least they're safe and I can survive with them. I know if I have good benefits, I can survive. 
right? And so who do you become if you become the person that says, I've never done a thing I wanted to in all of my life? You become the person who lives on what they could have done, or you become the person that is resentful and keeps other people from going after their bliss. This is actually why I'm doing this podcast now. If I surrender to these things that are coming forth in me and none of it works out, well, what's going to happen? It's like, well, your life's a daring adventure. What do you mean what's going to happen? You're going to start over. You're going to figure it out. Has there ever been a time where you didn't figure it out? Has it ever not been okay? Like, it's always going to be, but it's trusting in that. It's knowing that. It's knowing that you can start over. That's actually really important. So I've been alluding at something really interesting that's going to tie a lot of this together and something I said at the beginning, which is you have the roadmap inside of you and that roadmap is your soul. And your life is that the flourishing of that, hopefully, right? And, and if you don't follow the ha- bliss, it's the diminishment of that soul, right? It's that life force, that vitality that's inside of you, that inspiration you get when you step toward the gods, toward what's important to you. And so if you don't do that, you feel a diminishment of soul. So the fabric of your soul is made up of your intrinsically held values. And what I would submit is that you absolutely know when you abandon your values because your conscience will make your life hell. I like the idea, I've talked about the definition a lot, but hell is when your mind and body are in different places. And every time we don't follow our bliss, every time we abandon ourselves, right, based on how Joseph Campbell's using it, we create the conditions for internal division. We deceive ourselves into going after what we think we have to go after instead of what we want to go after. And when we do that, we create the conditions for internal division. And when we have internal division, self-destruction ensues. And so then we self-sabotage and we destroy ourselves. Jiminy Cricket, I know we're taking some right turns here, but in the Pinocchio story, if you look at these old stories, again, right, this is the importance of understanding the pattern. You can see what each character represents, you know, each part. Because most of these stories that you see, when you watch Pinocchio, when you watch The Lion King, when you watch any of these Disney movies, a way to psychologically read them, and I'll do much more content on this going forward, but a way to psychologically read them is as if the whole thing is taking place inside of you, right? All of those characters are sort of sub-personalities that are competing, and you can see it because you have an internal tyrant, and you have a part of you that actually really wants to go after what you what you know you're here for. And in the Pinocchio story, Jiminy Cricket is the conscience, right? And the conscience has historically been understood as the Christ within. And that's what Jiminy Cricket personifies. And if you read his quotes, it's very interesting. Here's a Jiminy Cricket quote. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. He, you know, he talks in this like sort of poetic, lyrical way. But it's the idea. What he's saying is, no, no, listen to the heart. Don't listen to where you're being led astray by the external world, right? That's the Christ within. That's where it matters if you can trust all of this, if you can trust being itself, that you're going to go where you're supposed to go and you're going to get where you're supposed to get. And so one of the things that I notice in my life is that where I notice the most resistance is when my values are not in alignment with my actions and I'm trying to go forward anyway based on what my persona is wanting, right? So this podcast is actually a really good example of this. So in the last six months, it's been really difficult for me to make content. You might have noticed, right? Because 
For years, I did a podcast every single day, Monday through Friday. And people would always ask me, like, how do you produce so much content? And I would always say, like, I don't really know. I mean, part of it is getting your process down. I journal a lot. I read a lot. I think a lot. But also, it's just kind of flowing out of me, and I don't really know. And then all of a sudden, the, the spigot started to close, and content was only dripped out. It was no longer rushing out of me. It's no longer pouring out of me. And I'm trying to understand why. But I'm realizing, okay, so... I'm talking about personal development stuff and, you know, it's not lighting me up anymore. And I think because I took it as far as my understanding was interested in taking it, which was trying to wrap my mind around some psychological concepts so that we can understand the deeper things that are happening. And so the moment that I was like, I have to go in the direction that I'm being called now. And this is scary for me, right? Because I mean, Think about the modern world and our ideas of God and our images of God. Like, I'm going to go against a ton of that in a lot of my content, and it's going to be uncomfortable for people. And so there's a huge part of me that doesn't want to do it. So my persona is back 15 years old taking a biology quiz. It's like, no, study, do the thing that people are expecting you to do, and then they'll congratulate for you, you for it. And you'll have belonging. And if you have belonging, you'll have safety. And if you have safety, then you will survive. But there are some fates that are worse than death. And I would say that that betraying self is one of those. Walking out on your internal constitution is one of the fates that is absolutely worse than death. And you see that personified in the Christ story, right? He's actually killed for the truth, right? And this actually happens throughout history, so I won't get on a tangent about that idea. But the idea being that as soon as I was like, okay, I'm going to surrender again. I, you know, I have to. It feels like it's it's getting too big. I'm looking at the books on my shelf and they're all about mysticism and depth psychology and mythology. And I'm like, I've got to surrender and just go where I'm being called. This episode just pours out of me. Like I've been forcing the you know water out of a dry spigot for, for months now because I have to go against the patterns I was taught. We all do. If we're going to actually find that the water of life as it's often personified in myth. And so the importance of following that is that if you do, if you accept what you're being called to, you then begin to engage in a mutual relationship with life that's going to lead to deeper and deeper depth and revelation. So let me talk about what I mean by that real quick. So the end of the hero's journey is atonement, right? At one mint, becoming one with being itself. Think about all this talk I've had about trust and faith and, and believing in the actuality of the moment you're in, that you're going to be taken care of, even if you go after what's scary and what's hard and what's difficult and what's in the shadows. When you do that, when you accept that, the internal division that is caused by you betraying yourself begins to cease. And when the internal division ceases, then you can become in reconciliation with life. This is the idea that's in the redemption, right? This is what's happening here, is that you are reborn as something in a more symbiotic relationship with life itself. You have less division in you. There's less division and friction in your life holding you up. That's what it means to come into atonement after going through your journey. That's why it's so important to surrender and to listen because what happens is that when you go through your hero's journey, and you'll go through many of them in your lifetime, is that as you do, as you go through the underworld and as you reach a new level, a new rebirth, you, you start to open yourself up. The old patterns that you've lived out are, are no longer going to serve you. They die. 
So you're no longer even drawn to them anymore. That's, that's going through the full death and rebirth process. So you become transformed in that process. And when you become transformed, you get a deeper sense of revelation of what you're doing here. This is why it's important because that is the feeling of meaning. That's the grail, right? That's the grail in the grail myth. And so when you get the sense of ultimate meaning, you get a deeper revelation of why you're here and what it means to be here and why it's so important to be motivated out of love and all of the things that come forth when you actually go through a real transformation. But in modernity, in the modern world, that's like a religious way of knowing. But in the modern world, we have what's called a Cartesian way of knowing. So the religious way of knowing says, in order for you to know, you actually have to go through the transformational process. You, you, gotta, you have to do it. You won't get to know what it's like to trust life until you trust life. But the Cartesian way of knowing, post-enlightenment even, says that, no, no, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to commit myself. I don't have to go die in the fire. I actually just have to arrange all of my a priori statements and my presuppositions. Like if I just put all my principles and beliefs in the right place, in the right way, and I think about it that way, I, I construct my knowledge by having all the right foundations in place, then I can know. And the religious way of knowing, the way of knowing that I would say is your gift for having gone through your own journey and facing your own hell, facing the thing that you deeply do not want to face, right? Not having belonging, all of those things that come up. What you get, though, is deeper insight into what it means to be here and why you're here and that feeling of purpose, why you're here on this earth. Like, that's the most inspiring thing a human can feel, right? To be in atonement with life, to be at one with life, to know that what you're doing is really beneficial. Not that you know why. That's one of the interesting things that comes with revelation. I mean, you'll see it. You'll see it here and there of like somebody, you know, someone reaches out to me once in a while. That Like, I, I remember I got a letter um, about this kid his brother had died and he was going through a really difficult time. This is like maybe four months after I got out of the military and I was doing my podcast and I'm following my journey, you know, to the best of my ability. And he sends me this letter that he like printed out the words of one of my podcasts and read it at the wake. And he talked about what it meant to him and his family. And, you know, so you get these intimations of why it's important here and there, you know, you follow your bliss and you'll, you'll, pick up on like, wow, what if I wouldn't have done that? But you know, we all want to know our purpose. And it's like, well, you're trying to know your purpose without having gone on the journey. But that's revelatory. That's your gift for transformation. You actually have to answer the call, follow your bliss to know. And so that's why it's so important to not let another what if go attend unattended to, right? That's why it's so important to realize, listen, you can believe what you believe. You do, right? But your actual belief is not the story you tell yourself. It is what's happening here in reality. And the reason being is because reality is going to subject you to pain. So if your beliefs are incorrect or if you act incorrectly, you're going to actually feel it. You get, you get real-time feedback in your life. So your beliefs is nothing to do with what you tell yourself. It has nothing to do with it. But that, that tends to be because we like this Cartesian way of knowing. It's like, well, I just got to get the story right. If I get the story right, I'll be all right. It's like, mm-mm. No, no, you have to do what is right. And what is right is emerging from within you. And you know it. We all know it. We have a conscience. We have 
the Christ within, but we have to learn to listen to it. And we have to understand that so much of our cultural baggage and conditioning and understanding is just not set up for us to find our bliss. That's why the hero's journey emerges, because we need to go on a journey of self-transformation. And when we transform ourselves, we get deeper knowing, we get deeper insight into what it means to be here. And that continues and continues. And you know what happens? It gets a little bit easier to trust that the picture you're seeing now, even if it's horrific and life is going to put you in horrific situations, we all know that, it's easier to, to trust. You're like, well, I've seen this played out before, actually. I've been this scared before. And that's why transformation is important. That's why we have to follow our own hero's journey. I want to end with a couple of quotes. The first one is by Michael Mead, who wrote a book called The Genius Myth. Actually, I'll link it up in the show notes of this episode too. It's one of the myths that I teach in my uh, Modern Man's Call course because it's, it's this same idea, but realizing that you actually had the destiny imprinted in your soul before you came to the earth. And now again, remember, it's, it's not about believing it. It's about learning from it. So Michael Mead says, what's secretly in the water of modern culture is that people enter the world empty. And that's a very dangerous idea because if everybody's empty, then other people can get us to do whatever they want because there's nothing in us to stand against it. But if we came to do something that's meaningful, that involves giving and making the world a more beautiful, healthy, lively place, then you become a difficult person to move around and manipulate. And this last quote, and this is the one that I'm going to end on, is by Brian D. McLaren. He said, aliveness, and listen, when we talk about bliss, when we talk about the living water, that's that feeling of inspiration inside of you. It's the feeling of vitality. And when you touch it, you know you've touched it because there's nothing else like it. You get a sense of internal expansion. And then you going after that is the thing that's going to affect the world the most deeply not the watered-down version of you that you've convinced yourself that you can settle for. So he said, aliveness, he will teach, is a gift available to all by God's grace. It flows not from taking, but giving. Not from fear, but from faith. Not from conflict, but from reconciliation. Not from domination, but from service. So before I go on, just think about all of these, these motifs we've talked about, the idea of faith over the fear, the idea of reconciliation and acceptance, surrendering to your life so that you can serve the world. He goes on, it isn't found in the upper trappings of religion, rules and rituals, controversies and scruples, temples and traditions. No, it springs up from our innermost being like a fountain of living water. It intoxicates us like the best wine ever and so turns life from disappointment into a banquet. When I no longer fear the unknown Cause I know what I am here for I keep on trodden on my own path Keep on learning from my present and past, yeah when I no longer need validation Cause my story is long and I'm patient I know that I have lessons to learn Keep my eyes open each step I earn, yeah No need for me to feel alone Cause I got a place that I call home Every single road travel, every single new place I come back home, they accept me with grace, yeah 
When I know that I was meant to be here And I know that I was born into fear But I will stand tall in the lion's den Cause I know in my heart I am one of them That there lies in the facets of everything that we see That are telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you Said I deserve to be here But I'm in a constant transition, constantly changing vision Story never certain, there is always a revision to be made When I think about the demons I have slayed I am not afraid of confrontation in vain To the people that seek evil, not as peaceful as I look With a warrior at heart, so precaution must be took What I'm trying to give in to the lessons that will soften my ways And means of changing, cause I talk to spirit often Tell me to stay sharp, tell me to stay present Tell me to ignore the fools and focus on a sin well, I said I will stop my ego and I will remain strong I will make mistakes and I will often be wrong When I'm perfectly imperfect and I'm only here to learn And all the evil on the path gets burned I said I'm perfectly imperfect and I'm only here to learn And all the evil on the path gets burned But there lies in the facets of everything that we see That are telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you From the outside, try not to let it in where I reside. Well, this is my heart, my home, my choice, my love, my life, my path, my voice. But I feel my heart grow with each step. Stand firm in where the path goes next. Well, I know that where it goes is where I need to be. The more lessons rain down, more blessings I see. Sit there lies in the facets of everything that we see. They're telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you